You are now listening to the Gundog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith, with Paulus Ruger and Honeymoon in Vegas. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. This is your host, Darrell Smith, and I got an exciting episode, one that I've just been waiting to crank out. Um, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm a little bit behind schedule because I needed to break this thing up into two episodes, so you are going to get twice the daily dosage of Mr. Joe Clody, all right, and um, just a special shout out to Joe while we're on the top or, or while we're talking about him. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, Chief. You know, June 12th is when I'm recording this, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have him on, but I didn't realize his birthday ran right into the episode. So, you know, I, if I can't brag on him enough, Joe is just, you know, a, a, an awesome friend and, and an even better dog man. And you guys are going to see that in this episode. You know, I just, I want to get down to the nitty gritty with Joe. You know, get down to some real, just straight up bird dogging, you know. And uh, I, I think we did a, a phenomenal job in this episode and had a whole lot of fun doing it. So, now that we are kind of getting into the, the, the meat and bones of the announcements, I want to start with... Uh, just talking a little bit about Project Upland. I got a lot of stuff coming up with Project Upland of uh, the Northwoods Collective very soon. First, I want to direct you guys to go check out uh, Jennifer Wapinski. That's my buddy. I want you to go check out her new article on the website. Um, it is Finding Birds for the Dog for Dog Training and the Power of Community. Um, it's an awesome article, and when we talk about the power of community, I mean, I'm always you know, running my mouth about it on this podcast, because that's really the whole point of this, this thing, right? You know, mentorship, community, getting the dogs together, and we all know the hassles of, of first-time dog folks that you just can't ever find birds. You never seem to find enough birds until you join your napping chapter or something like that, but with me, I'm always checking Craigslist or something like that for birds, and, and I've got a pretty good contact now, but... You know, fortunately, he stays in stock because I, I feel like I spend a lot of money on birds. Um, you know, and, and even on this podcast, you know, Joe was definitely one that sent me a diagram of a really nice, really, really, really nice pigeon coop setup. Um, and I want to get some homers. I'm not working with homers right now. The racers. Um, something called like 200 mile pigeons they just basically get up and fly off really fast so i got a card but we'll get into that on this podcast too um also i want you guys to go check out the new the two new project upland films uh flush and grouse and and that's with the uh grouse commander folks and another film called light breathing air now light breathing air was special to me because you know, outside of pit bulls, I got into this thing with a crazy hound dog that never really worked out. And I messed around and found my Walk With Wick books. 
you know, tree dog encyclopedia books, and those are real special to me. One day I'm gonna get me another another Walker Hound. One day, one day. I feel like they're like the the, the pointers, the English pointers of the uh, of the hound world. But um, anywho, you know, go check out Light Breathing Air. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy it. And I know y'all, if y'all been paying attention to social media, been seeing me leak a little bit of, uh, a little bit of content on behalf of, uh, Will Sensing and Northwoods Collective and Project Upland about the, uh, Georgia, Florida Shooting Dog Handlers Association. So stay tuned for that, too. Um, I also want to ask you guys to go check out the Project Upland podcast. The Endless Migration Podcast, you know, with Nick Larson and Jake Terry. And, you know, I'm always one for community. I always got to talk and, 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 and big up my boys. Jake Terry's an awesome guy. Nick Larson's an awesome guy, both of which will be on the podcast pretty soon. Um, you know, it's just, I got a lot of folks that I want to, you know, put out there on the airwaves and bug them about questions. My last thing about Project Upland. So I will be going to the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers event, Muster in the Mountains, on June 22nd and 23rd in Morris, Pennsylvania. On behalf of Project Upland, I will be representing for us East Coast folks. So if you're up there, um, come holler at me. Come chat with me. You know, let me know what you think about the podcast. Let me know what you think about Project Upland and 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 all the hard work that AJ and Chet and Nick and everybody else is putting in. Will, Jake, Terry, let 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 me know what you guys are thinking about that. So, on another note, I got my show notes right here because I need to <laughs> I need to keep up with myself. Um, you can have a sporting dog, guys. This is. If, if you ain't heard it out of my mouth many, many times, this is the finest in sporting dog performance nutrition, and I can give you all the facts why, but just look at my dogs. Vegas, Vegas beefed up, you know, he beefed up, he's got plenty of energy, um, and that little five-month-old pointer is coming along just nicely. Ruger, he's doing the same thing. That confirmation's going well, you know, he's in the water, he's swimming, we're getting all that summer work in. Um, but I mean, we're talking real nice stamina. We're talking about confirmation. We're talking about healthy dogs. Um, and I'll give you guys a little bit more on that. Um, as the podcast goes on, Dakota 283 Kennels, I want to give them a shout out. I want to, um, go ahead and give you guys the, 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 the gun dog notebook promo code for Dakota 283 Kennels. So you guys are now able at any given time uh, to get 10% off on all non-clearance items, okay? You just go in and get, get, your, get your G3 kennel, get your tonneau cover kennel, get all that stuff that you want. And at the end of the checkout, you go into that promo code section and type in capital TGDN10. That's TGDN10. All right, get yourself 10% off and, and go check it out, guys. I'm, You know I'm a big fan of, of, of all the work that Greg Cronkite and, and the folks over at uh, Dakota 283. And I want to thank Rachel for, for shooting me that, uh, that promo code. Go check it out, all right? Lion Country Supply, guys. Go get your fill of, of, of the finest and premier sporting dog 
training needs and, and supplies and materials and all kinds of stuff like that. It's summertime, guys. Get your summertime training in. So, with that being said, I'm going to stop running my mouth and go ahead and get you guys introduced to Mr. Joe Plody of PSR Kennels. All right, this is going to be an excellent, excellent two-part podcast. So go ahead and stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a podcast episode I've been waiting to get to. Took a little bit of time to kind of craft together because... I bug our guest, Joe Plote of PSR Kennels. I bug him so much. So I definitely wanted to put a, a, a little bit more thought um, into, you know, dog training and the way I like to call it, getting getting down and dirty, you know, as far as bird dogging. So Joe Plote, how are you, sir? Good, man. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. Well, you have been... Uh, Definitely a, a a a fan of the Gun Dog Notebook, man. I just appreciate your support first and foremost. Absolutely, man. Love uh, love the show. Can't get enough of it. Got a lot of a lot of time to kill when I'm working dogs. So well, I I see. And you have told me. I feel like all the secrets of of good dog handling. <laughs> <laughs> over over the course of our many weeks relationship now, knowing each other and stuff like that. So we got to get that. Like I said, we got to get down and dirty, my friend. Absolutely. So let, let's let's go ahead and start with the the introductions, man. You know, talk about, you know, where you coming from, where you at now, but your bird dog background, how you got into it, what your first dog was like. And then I want you to tell me that story about Dave Walker and how you met him. Absolutely. So I've always been that kid that was obsessed with dogs. My mother loves to tell the story about how when I was three, I would not eat a meal unless she put it in a bowl and put it on the floor for me. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really didn't get into hunting until I was about 14, 15. Okay. My dad is not a hunter. Uh, my mom's family is. Um, but both her brothers who hunted were in the military and not around. Um, so when my one uncle was in a more stable position and I was old enough, he felt, um, he started taking me hunting. And my second hunt was a pheasant hunt not far from where I live here in northern Illinois. And we went with one of his friends who had a German short hair you know how I feel about them German dogs. <laughs> you feel, look, that's why you're on the podcast. You know I'm biased about them. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little biased to my pointers, so. <laughs> me too, me too. But, uh, you know, just a confused kid carrying a shotgun around for the first time. I had no idea what was happening. And then all of a sudden, there's this dog on point. And it was the most beautiful thing, breathtaking thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was hooked. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple years later, I was in a position where my pet dog, who was a, a cattle dog, you know, that we had here on the farm, passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, I just kind of happened to do a little Britney pup. 
and paid a whopping 175 bucks for him. Oh, that's that's the best kind right there, man. Exactly. Yeah. No pa- no papers, nothing. But, uh, Probably be the, one of the best bird dogs you'll ever find. You know what? In spite of my teenage training, he was a pretty darn good dog. Yeah. Um, you know, after I completely screwed him up, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you, you say you made a gun shy and all kinds of stuff in like a week. I'm, in one week, it was probably I think maybe one or two days. God. You know, I, I was I was reading this book. I can't remember the name of it, but it was an old old school trainer book. Mm-hmm. And I trained him in the backyard every day after school and before school for like a month before bird season. And I would thought I had a trained dog, and I took him out, and I wrecked him that first hunt, man. Yeah. Just wrecked him. Lit him up with an e-collar, shot when he wasn't expecting it, and pretty soon I had a dog that would not hunt. He would not leave my side. If he saw a gun, he would hide. Wow. Wow. So that whole yeah, that whole first hunting season was me just taking him out and being disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I had a subscription to the Pointing Dog Journal, and I saw an ad for a Dave Walker seminar. Now, a lot of people don't know who Dave Walker is, but he was an old-school trainer Mm -hmm. um, out in Idaho. In the Brittany world, he still is to this day one of the biggest names. You know, he he titled a lot of Brittany's back in the day. Right. And begged mom and dad to let me go. And they said, no, it's too far away. We can't drive you. You were not driving that far by yourself because you're 16. Right. <laughs> so I lied, told him I was going to stay at a friend's or something like that, and I went anyway. <laughs> you was going to get to that seminar. Yeah, I, I was going to get there. Um, after reading up on him and his reputation, I knew that was the guy that I needed to meet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got there, and boy, did he turn my world upside down. Well, it sounded like, you know, for everything you were telling me about Dave Walker, the man looked like he saved your dog. He did, dude. Let me tell you. I got there, you know, we checked in, did everything, and he was going around and kind of talking to people. And when he got to me, anybody that knows Dave uh, will understand, he put duct tape on my mouth. Mm-hmm. And he told me, now you're a dog trainer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That is... That is some of the best advice that I've gotten from my buddy Richard. Duct tape, man. Keep a keep a keep a roll of it in your bag. For sure, I keep mm-hmm. a couple in the truck and in the training bag now for clients and and for myself. To be honest, from time mm-hmm. to time. Mm-hmm. Man, so I mean, it it sounds like you know Dave Walker was was a big part of your foundation. Now. You know, talk about, you know, some of the things that you learned from that seminar, like especially being that young. You know, I don't know a lot of people that are interested in in bucking on their parents word that young to get to a dog training seminar. (laughs) You know, it looking back, it really didn't a lot of it really didn't sink in Mm -hmm. his whole method. What sunk in was what I needed to do to fix the dog. Right. You know, Dave was pretty famous for being able to fix gun-shy dogs, running off dogs, Mm -hmm. because he was just so talented with them. And that's really a lot of what he helped me with. 
Right. And I did. I had a. I got a copy of his book from him, and I didn't read the thing for the first two years that I had it. You know, we did what I needed to do to fix the dog, and then hunting him is what really made him the dog that he was after we after I got him over those hurdles. Oh, okay, okay. So for the first time, dog dog man, you know, and I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? Like this is your first dog. There's definitely stuff that I did with Ruger that I would not even because there it's a lab and a pointer, but I just would never do with Vegas at this point, you know, um, and like, what is something that like, how did you overcome that hurdle? Because a lot of people will quit on a dog too. You know, the biggest thing was that I did not want to. The alternative was get rid of him and get another dog. Right. Which and 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 see that's a mentality that I can't afford. <laughs> exactly. That you know, being our generation, uh, we just don't have that in us for the most part. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that's something that goes with our generation is that we would not get rid of that dog. We're gonna do what we have to do to keep that dog. Right. Right. And that you know, that's where I was at was get over that hurdle. And and when I got there, it was basically, yep, at the finish line. And I really didn't pay attention to any of the other stuff yeah. that was there. So let me talk about that book, first of all. When you sent that book, do you realize how much that book is worth nowadays? I know. And and uh, I don't remember if I told you that. I have My copy is signed by Dave and his wife, Faye. Dude. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I could probably, you know, put a down payment on a nice truck. Yo, that is that book is is half the value of my Yeti cooler. That should tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that should tell you what you walked into. And uh, but yeah. I think uh, some kind, I think that's why I'm so fascinated with you, man. Like you got the drive, got the grit, got the the mentality of like some of these old school guys, but you're presenting it. I like I, I just see you as monumental for the folks in our generation, you know? I I really do. I mean shit, all the stuff that you told me and just your reverence for that type of knowledge, man, like and for you to have a book like that and you just wanted to get out and, and, and learn, that's a natural thing. We always talk about natural ability. Well, I think as a trainer, you need to have that in you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. And, you know, the the biggest thing for me is that, you know, I, dude, I barely made it through high school. I hated school. If I didn't have an interest in anything, I wasn't going to learn about it. Yeah. And dogs have always been that driving factor for me. Right. I didn't really care about anything else. Right, right. And I think I think a lot of us that are so passionate about that, you know, dogs and training are kind of like that. We have that tunnel vision or, you know, the blinders are on. We can only see one thing that we like. Right. And we go after it. And, I mean, that's, that is, that's how it is for me, man. Like... The two things that I have in this world are art and and bird dogs, you know, I mean, and and, and that's excluding my wife and my daughter, mind you. But as as far as my own personal interests is art and this bird dogs and they're literally 
equal in my eyes. Um, I just think though, when you want to accomplish something like the, it's like the dogs are the teachers themselves and, and you're constantly searching for that knowledge. And, and over the years, man, you, you, you figure little quirks out and you figure little things out, but it's about persistence. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I think that you have to be a gritty MFer. <laughs> to be a bird dog trainer. I do, man. What 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 do you think it goes with that? I you know what, man? You it, you're you're definitely right cuz it is not easy. Um it's you know, everything everything you see on social media, you know, the the hunt tests, the field trials, the the dogs standing steady to wing shot and kill. That's mm-hmm. the good stuff. Mhm. Mhm. Nobody posts scoop and poop although you know lone duck and uh best gun dogs have been doing oh that yeah they, look i appreciate that <laughs> i definitely appreciate them doing that because i was like yo that is real <laughs> for sure man because like my day starts and ends with scoop and poop and washing pee out of kennels like, yeah that's yeah that's my day and uh it, yeah, you got to have a determination, and it's got to be something you're passionate about. Because if I didn't love doing what I'm doing, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, you you've got to, man. I think, you know, at at any level, if you're going to do this bird dog thing seriously, like, and and I'm not talking about the guys you get yourself a German short hair because it's the cool kid thing to do, like. Nah, man, whatever type of dog you got, and not because a Labrador is super popular, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you are really going to do this thing, you have to commit to all aspects of it and, and, and make sure it accommodates to your lifestyle, too. Absolutely. You know, and, you know the, whole, the whole breed bias thing, we joke about that all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, I don't can't even count how many dogs I've trained over the the time that I've been, you know, offering training to the public. Mm-hmm. There's a big number of dogs of every breed that I would gladly own. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't care about tail size, coat color, coat length. Mm-hmm. If you're finding birds mm-hmm. and happy about it, I right. like you and right. I want you in my kitchen. There you go. It's about what matters on the front end, not the back end. The back end is cute, though. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I won't turn down a twelve o'clock tail for. Me. Hey, I I, I I I I love a puppy with a twelve o'clock tail. That that is the 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 just the most sexy thing that I've seen. Like it's just like okay, little dude. Like you trying to get to it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It 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 is 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 the cool. And then when they grow up, it's like, again, you've got that dog that's just got that grit, and and it doesn't. So we moved from cute and sexy to like for real broke bird dog, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and, and you start to get yourself a, a dog that really knows what he's doing. But I think a lot of it has to do like you know when you get these dogs, man, and 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 especially when you're raising them up real young like like that these dogs are are trusting you to work with them and i think the the heart of a bird dog is coming from that dog watching you and checking your dedication does that make sense 
Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, these uh, these dogs, they're bred to do that. They're bred to work. Mm-hmm. And do- dogs in general, they want to have a purpose. They have been bred for generations to look to us for leadership. Yep. And even the dogs that I just trained for obedience um, and not bird dog stuff, you know, a couple weeks with me. And, you know, they're excited to get up in the morning. When they see that leash come out, they're excited to go to work. Right, right. They they live for that, and I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark is they don't realize that these dogs were bred to do a job, whether it be your buddy or find birds or, you know, track a coon or a lion or what. Mm-hmm. And they need that. They thrive on that. Right. And, and they, they and, and the thing is, you know, I, I've been in my buddy, uh, Stephen Grow. If, if, if you follow him, I think you might follow him on social media. But anywho, he's another buddy down here. And, and, both, and he's been adamant about proving to the world that you can keep a pointer in the house, right? And, and, I, and I totally believe the hell I do. But the reason that that works is because that dog is working all the time. You see what I'm saying? That, Absolutely. That dog is. It, by the time he comes in the house, he's content with the work that he's done, you know, all day. But you know, a lot of that goes into, again, the genetics, the intelligence, all of these little key components that you know make up the dogs that we love. And and that's gonna lead me into my next question. I'm on now. I'm on. I'm on. I know we got a list of questions, but I'm gonna kind of jumpstart to the other end of the list. You know, when we talk about uh, bird dog intelligence and all of these things. We were having a conversation the other day about pedigrees and breeding, right? And mm-hmm. and, and you schooled me a bit, though. You asked my opinion. I appreciate the education of you know. I'm always trying to learn. You know why are we breeding dogs so close? And 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 I love Robert Whaley to death, especially you know he's a snakefoot dog, and I really want your opinion on snakefoot dogs too. But why are we breeding so close and why is that so important? From my understanding, and you know, you know this, I've said it, I'm nowhere close to a, an expert on genetics. Yeah. Um, my little bit of understanding is that when you have a, a, a gene pool of dogs that express certain traits that you're looking for, the, the more you have those dogs in the pedigree, the stronger those traits are going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that people don't always think about is that those negative traits, they're going to be just as strong as the positive traits. Right. If you're, if you're not breeding carefully. Now, Whaley, he had that shit to a science. <laughs> like, he, he was breeding fox pills, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, that dude knew what he was doing. And I don't think there will ever be another Bob Whaley. Mm-hmm. Like, that program produced a lot of good dogs. Mm-hmm. And look at any pointer on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. A lot of them have LHU bloodlines. Yep. A lot of them. That God, is no mistake. Yep. yep. Yeah. Every, you know, if I think I lost my train of thought. You, um, you good. I mean, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off of what you were saying. Um, you know, as far as a lot of these dogs on there, you know, these LHU bloodlines, man, and you've got a lot of other great 
bloodlines. Don't get me wrong, but it's 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 almost like walking into a museum for me, right? When I see an L. Hugh dog, it's no different than walking into a museum. You were talking about the cream of the crop as far as artists, as far as paintings, as far as this. So L. Hugh dogs are no different for me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so Whaley, and, and we can get into all the controversies with, with Miller dogs and blah, 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 blah. But when you're talking about a pure strain of dogs, like the 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 L. Hugh bloodline is damn near its own dog. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like it, 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 it is. It, yeah, it's damn near its own dog. It's it's almost akin to the setter folks with the you know the Llewellyn mm-hmm. and and all that. You know they'll they'll be like, no, it's a different it's a different dog. Well, you know, to me and not you know, it's not a setter guy. They're all setters to me. Right. Um, they're just different, you know, different breedings. Right. You know, they all go back to the same dogs eventually. Right. Um, and, in, you know, my perspective is that this whole line breeding, inbreeding, everybody gets so touchy about it because that's the stigma that we all have because of the stories of human inbreeding from back in the day. Mm-hmm. That it causes all these genetic problems, and well, yeah, if you're breeding bad genetics to bad genetics, of course. Of course, right. To be a big time dog breeder, you have to have a lot of females and a lot of males that are breeding age. You got to be producing a lot of dogs, and that's how you're going to get your distinct line, like the Elhi line or you know the Llewellyn line or whatever. Right, and I mean, and you know, I was definitely. Um, I think we, we uh, one night we were talking, man, and we got into the idea of like Darwinism and, uh, y- you know, just natural selection. Y- mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're talking about, you know, LHU dogs, you're getting into the conversation about Darwinism. You're you see what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you're getting into the cream of the crop as far as you know, bird dogs, and that's no shade on any other breed, but, you know, biasedly and, and hopefully intellectually, you know, when we're talking about dogs, that, that was one of the many, uh, reasons why I committed to getting Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and honestly, it, you know, I want your thoughts on this. I saw Vegas's line and, I was looking for certain dogs. I was looking for a snake foot dog. And um, uh, Gary Surratt of, of uh, Pine Hill Kennels also gave me the, the, the hip on, got me hip on looking for a Magoo dog. But, you know, there's this whole myth and mystery about snake foot, right? Absolutely. There, there's this whole myth and supposedly he was Whaley's brag dog and all kinds of things. And, and no one will ever really know because we were not there for that conversation. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? But I think if that dog was good enough to write a whole freaking book about, and that book is honestly my foundation. It is. If, if that book was written on that dog, I think that there was something unique about Snakefoot. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think there was something distinctly unique about that dog that suit that that trumped 
all of his other dogs because you don't see a book about El He Strike, though he was so damn good. Mm-hmm. The thing that, you know, you're talking about looking for certain dogs in a pedigree. Mm-hmm. The one thing I always try to keep in my mind is how many times does that dog show up in pedigree? Because if he's, you know, even third generation, it it don't matter. Right. He's not getting any, your pup is not getting any of those genetics. Right. Now, if that dog shows up four or five times throughout the pedigree, then I'm thinking a little bit different about what that pup might get from that dog. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes back to that line breeding. And, you know, somebody that knows way more about all the genetics could explain it better. Right. But it would be like, you know, you're great great-grandpa, how much did he really influence who you are? Exactly. exactly. Probably very little. Right, because, I mean, and, and 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 we're relating it to humans, and that's the thing. Humans aren't going to do that type of breeding. Exactly. And what we constantly, I know we've talked about this many times, we constantly anthropomorphize, I hope I said that right? Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it you know it yeah it's cute it's nice to think of them like that but it's not true mm-hmm. at the end of the day they're an animal i love them just the same mm-hmm. but it's it's not the same it is you see what it is absolutely not and you know we have to get rid of that that is you know one thing man you know i, I know i've been chatting with you you know about the yuganuba trip and stuff um you know, and, and I mean, so much of what I saw really blew my mind out there when I was hanging with those guys. Right. But I mean, one very small thing that they said really stuck with me. These dogs are not people. They're they are not people. We treat a dog like we treat, like, like as dogs and it does not make them any lesser. It doesn't do anything other than observe a creature for what it is. What we're doing is trying to essentially create super athletes for dogs, right? Like, that's what we're doing. So, if you're going to do that, I mean, if if we want to get into the whole anthropomorphizing, whatever the word is, Jesus Christ, because I butcher that word so often, God. You mess that word up more than anything. If we make the dogs look right, if 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 we want to make the dogs seem more human and and create analogies around that, it's it's almost like breeding, you know, Usain Bolt to like Serena Williams, right? Like, mm-hmm. or and and I heard it on another podcast. I cannot remember what it was, but it was a bird dog podcast, and they brought up the the analogy. Same conversation, matter of fact of Tiger Woods, right? There will likely never be another Tiger Woods. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that, I know I know exactly what it, that was uh that was uh Ronnie Baines podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah, that that makes so much sense because you know, it and it made me think when I heard that, it made me think about, you know, I worked in pet stores. Mm-hmm. part time for, for a long time doing you know obedience classes and dog grooming and everybody 
nowadays is bring, breeding those damn doodles. You know? Oh my God, so, yeah. <laughs> everything, and it drives me nuts, you know, and the whole reasoning behind that is hybrid vigor. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, you know, if we're looking at from a genetic standpoint, that's exactly what Tiger Woods is an example of. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as, as horrible as that is to attribute to a person, that's exactly what it is. You took two diverse genetic backgrounds, put them together, and you got this tremendous athlete that just blew everybody out of the water. But he will never be able to replicate that. Exactly. You cannot children, do it. Yeah, his children will not be athletes for the most part. Right. I mean, they're because they're, they're so distant from each other. You know what I'm yeah, saying? The, the genetic foundation. You know now. Now, if if there was a, a, a Tiger Woods and, and and Tiger Woods kept having you know kids and kept showing up in that bloodline, well, then we might have a different conversation. But we're not going to do that as people. Exactly. He's in you know in dog breeding terms, he's an outcross. Right. Exactly. And you 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 don't typically don't breed an outcross to an outcross. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. And, you and, would try. You would try to fold that back into the bloodline that you already have established, right? And double down, double down on on some of those genetics and add some new ones in, right? Absolutely. And you actually that that leads me to my next point. Now, um, in that same in the light of that same conversation, you've got a Miller dog, correct? Yes. yes. And, and, and my and, pointer was Miller. Okay. Say that one more time. I didn't catch that. No, my yeah, my pointer. She's uh, line bred Miller on on the sire and the dam side. So. Oh, okay. Now the pedigree that you asked me about and, and said, hey, what do you think about this? Um, you are outcrossing to a mostly snakefoot dog, mostly, but there's a lot of other, you know, you've got strike and guardrail stuff like that, if I remember correctly, in that line too. Yeah, I think I think Snakefoot showed up something like four or five times on that dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that is, you know, that would be a total outcross from the the pointers that I've typically had. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, for me, it would mostly be to look at something new. And be able to keep a pup or two out of that for my program. Right. Right. Okay. Now, what, you know, because, you, of, of course, you could have definitely found another dog with similar Miller genetics. You wanted, did you want to do that outcross, you know, for what reason? Like, what was the reasoning behind that? What were you thinking? My reasoning, personally, is that my bitch, Dory, she's, you know, she's Miller bloodline. She runs um, not quite an all-age race, and for for people that don't know what that is, that's a dog that you run off a horseback, and they're you know a mile or more away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, she runs about a shooting dog race, which you still run off a horseback, but it's not quite as big as an all-age dog. Right. And the dog, the particular dog that we're talking about, the sire, even though he's Illahue bloodline, he runs a little bit smaller race than a shooting dog. You know, he'd be like a AKC gun dog race. Right. Which is about how far, what do you think in distance wise? You know, it's a couple hundred yards. It's okay. not, you're probably looking at anywhere from, you know, at the close end, 150 to 
300 at the far end. Okay, okay. Which for me, I personally like dogs that stay about that area. Right. I like big running dogs that I can hunt off a foot. Mm-hmm. But they're not they're not so tremendously big that it's uncomfortable and takes me forever to walk my big butt over to a dog on point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I really like I've always liked the Miller bloodlines, but some of them run a little too hot for me. Right. You know, I like the nose that they have. I love the style. Um, I like that coloring that you get from them. I know that isn't as important, but I think, you know, if I'm going to look at this dog, I want it to be pretty. You know, I, I think it is important, though, man. I'm, I I will say I was totally biased um, on certain colors when I got to Vegas. I'm yeah. going to I'm, I'm I gladly admit that I wanted a, a white and orange dog more than I wanted a, you know, white and liver, white and black dog. Yeah. See, and I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Like my, my bitch story, she's white and orange. And I, you know, historically do not like white and orange dogs. They really? just, you know, I'm not saying they're not pretty. They're just not my taste. It's not I just prefer me. Yeah. a white, I prefer a white and liver or a white and black with ticking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes from my Brittany background. Cause I like a dog with a lot of color. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's, it's so interesting, man. I, I really think that even dog coloration, like, I, I think on out of a list of, of different things you can look for for a dog, that should damn sure be the last thing that you go look for, like. Yeah. It, it should, but, you know, Dave Walker, going back to him, he always said that the first thing he looks for when he's buying a dog is the genetics mm-hmm. you know the mother and the father and the grandfather and, and grandmother right when he finds the bloodlines that he likes in a litter he goes to the litter closes his eyes puts his hand in the pen and the first dog that comes up to him he picks it up and if it's a pretty colored one that's his pick right and that that's always been my philosophy and i it's worked out for me right and yeah, why why the hell not have a pretty one? I mean, it, it's just like a you know, it's it's just like dating somebody, I guess. Like, don't you want to you want you you want to like what you're looking at? Like, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I'm I'm one of those people that you know you you call me shallow if you want to, but. You know, I think my wife is damn pretty. <laughs> and I've thought so since middle school. So, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, and, and she's way more than that. But I'm just telling you now, man, like, I like whatever it is that I'm going to invest my time in, Chief. I I, I want to like what I'm looking at. I just. Sure. No shame. <laughs> All right, guys, just to take a little bit of a break from the podcast, I'm going to put you back on in a second. I just want to encourage you guys to go check out Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. In light of looking at a dog and and telling folks what you like to see and and having a high 12 o'clock tail and all kinds of nice performance, you guys are going to get no fillers in this dog food. You're going to get the highest levels of protein, fat, and you're going to promote lean muscle and sustained energy. You're getting the peak optimum performance out of this dog, okay? Go ahead. If you need to look at my dog, check out how he's grown and how he's improved 
on the Yukonuba Premium Performance uh, dog food, go check it out. All right, it's all over my social media and I definitely advocate for them. And just one more thing, their performance dog food has been validated in the sled dog world just to give you a little bit more proof in the pudding. So, as I always say, one of my favorite quotes, when the pavement ends and the truck doors swing open, your dogs are gonna be ready for anything. That's gonna be because of Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, so go check it out. You know, both my dogs, I've only got two, you know, both my dogs, I feel very good about having a future with those dogs. Like, all right, we got a little promise here. We got a little promise there. There's signs of this, signs of that, that I like to see. Now, you know, I've, I've spoke to you a lot about, you know, what I want out of Vegas, which is totally different than, you know, what I want out of Ruger. Ruger is, I don't like calling him a meat dog because it just, I feel like the connotation of that just kind of comes off lesser than, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those terms that, you know, the highbrow field trial guys have used for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I definitely understand that because, you know, I, I'm, I've been a Britney guy for a long time. I love my little short-tailed hamsters, as everybody calls it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are just as many Britney field trial champions as any other breed, but, you know, my dogs still get uh, coined as meat dogs or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and I don't, I understand where it comes from, like the terminology, but like, you know, Ruger to me, I'm not going to ever hunt test him. I'm not going to field trial him, I, but he's a damn good hunting dog. And, and What's I, wrong with that? yeah, ain't nothing wrong with it at all. No. You, you know, and I think that if I decided I wanted to put the energy and effort into making him a, a, a trial or hunt test dog, I think he'd be quite competitive. But now with Vegas, you know, Vegas is, you know, he's my young pointer got all this fancy bloodline this and pedigree that and I'm going to field trial them I'm gonna do all of this other stuff but at the end of the day both dogs equally make up my team yeah you know so I, I really want to ask you you know how are you running your dogs and, and and what are some of your clients looking for out of your training you know before before I dive into that, I, I know I've said this to you before, but you know whatever you do with your dog, it's got to make you happy. Absolutely. I think I think a lot of us get too caught up into the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, or you know we start thinking you know oh my dog doesn't do this, my dog doesn't do that, doesn't have this title, doesn't have that title, and you know if your dog goes out and finds some birds, brings them back, or even just stands over them and waits till you pick them up. Yeah. If you're happy with that, if you're happy with that, who cares? Right. Right. You know, who, who gives a rat's behind? That's what makes you happy. Be happy about it. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as me, I really, really like a dog that will run to the front, point its birds till I get there, hold all the way through the shot in the fall, and wait for me to send him for a retrieve. Absolutely. That is that gets my blood boiling more than anything. I don't even have to kill a bird over my dogs. 
Right now, oh, you, 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 I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. Is, is that what you consider a fully broke dog? To me, that is a fully broke dog, and it's so hard because everybody has different terminology and different ideas to, you know, pinpoint that down. But I want my dog to be completely steady till I send them to go pick up that bird that's just been killed. And if it doesn't get killed, they still stand there and wait for me to release them from standing on point. Right. So as, as I was saying, you know, to me, my, for my personal dogs and dogs that I train, um, I want a dog that, you know, runs to the front with minimal communication. I don't want, I don't like to talk to the dogs too much. Right. Um, you know, if the only real commands that I teach my personal dogs are kennel and here, I don't teach, whoa, I don't teach a whole lot. Right. I keep it simple and quiet. Um, that dog needs to stand on point till I get there, hold all the way through the flush, the shot, and wait to be sent for a retrieve. Um, I would like to do that with every client dog, um, but I'm limited on how much time these people want to keep their dog with me and how much money they want to spend. Right. <laughs> with, That's a huge factor. You know, it, it is a huge factor. You know, I wish... Um, it wasn't a factor, but I got bills to pay and so do they. Right. So I don't want to waste nobody's money because I know that if I sent a dog to somebody, I would want somebody doing the hardest job they could to get that dog huntable without wasting my time or money. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, and, and what is that conversation like? You know what I'm saying? Like I don't train dogs for a living. I train my own. And I've got all the time in the world to get them at at the point that I need them to. But you've got a yeah. client that's you know that's that's itching to get to the the, the fall hunting season. And it, you know, for the area that I live in and the clientele that I work with, a lot of these guys are weekend warriors, and I don't mean that as you know like a negative term. Yeah, these are these are guys that hunt. You know, if there's ninety days in the season, they probably hunt every weekend. Right. Or every other weekend. And it's typically at a bird club um, with pen-raised birds. So, you know, the conversation varies from client to client. Um, A lot of these guys, unfortunately, they really don't understand what a trained dog is. Or really know what they want out of their dog. Most of them are first-time dog owners or first-time bird dog owners, to be more specific. Mm Mm-hmm. So it, you know, usually is a couple weeks of just talking on the phone or having them come to the kennel and showing them some of my dogs and um, explaining what the different levels of training there is. And, you know, for the most part, I want to get that dog as close as I can to being steady all the way through that I like, because I know they're not going to keep up with the training. Right. Right. And if that dog is going to slide back, I want it to be sliding back to the point where they can still hunt it comfortably and have fun with the dog. Right. I think that's important, man. You, you hit the nail on the head having fun. Um, you know, I, it's tough, man, because we've got these really, really, really high expectations for the dog, right? And then it doesn't help that we're all flooded with idiots like me on, on podcasts that post barrel photos every day and all of that stuff. But, you know, I think people miss 
all of the 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 things that it that that go into breaking a dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I even think, you know, to the general public, breaking a dog has a negative connotation. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think absolutely. So. You know, we, you know, when I'm with bird dog people, I, I feel comfortable saying breaking a dog. Mm-hmm. When I'm with, when I'm with clients, I don't know what their background is. I've had people talk a big game on the phone and then come to find out they really have no clue what the heck I'm talking about. Right. Right. And, you know, saying stuff like breaking a dog or force breaking a dog to fetch, you know, that sounds scary. Yeah. So, you know, we use terms like, you know, a finished dog or finishing the dog or um, a conditioned retrieve, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it just – my people skills suck. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I, that's what makes you a good dog trainer. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it, it's so hard for me sometimes to explain to these people – you know what their dog knows, what their dog needs, because I get, I have a short temper with people where yeah. I can sit with a dog for hours, you know, trying to help the dog learn and get them to understand that, you know, standing there steady for that bird means eventually you're going to get that bird in your mouth. Right. Right. Um, whereas I get mad at somebody when I've told them for the fifth time that. You know, saying whoa to your dog doesn't mean jack shit because I've never taught your dog how to whoa. He knows how to stop and stand still from a different cue. So Yo. stop talking to your dog. Yo, I, I I can speak personally to that one. Um, <laughs> that revelation hit me today, matter of fact, shortly before we got on this podcast. Um, you know, not to interrupt you because I do want you to continue, um, but little old Vegas boy that little joker there is whoa bro right and yeah. it, it it took me to to be running out screwing off drinking a natural light being myself <laughs> no tequila this time no no tequila this time <laughs> no tequila in the backyard just just you know me oh, oh good old natural light and uh in Vegas and Ruger I'm screwing off just and I throw some bumpers and that little joker didn't move. And, and you know what I'm saying? Like Vegas nor Ruger, neither one of them dogs moved. And the bumpers are out 30, 40 yards or about 30 yards, give or take. And I mean, I hauled them things. And I was just like, huh. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word, my friend. They just know that you know, based off of conditioning, if you want to call it that, you don't need to talk. Both of them Absolutely know not. when something goes up, you stop. Absolutely. And that that is the hardest thing for to explain to people when it comes to I get so many people because this I feel like there needs to be a video or an article explaining that whoa is the most overused and, and most ridiculous command that has ever existed. It is. I will write that for you. Get a point. <laughs> I will write that for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to take note on that. <laughs> good. Good. Cause I, I, I cannot stand it. You know, it's, 
everybody's screaming whoa at the dog like he ain't stopped moving yet so what good are you doing you know right. shut up and go correct the dog pick him up you know spin him around keep show him that that is not what he's supposed to do and you can get that without talking to him right right and it just it drives me nuts I, I could go off on a full for a full hour just on how much I hate whoa. Please tell, please do because I. <laughs> you want to know what's crazy? Again, I'm gonna bring up Richard. You know, he's probably listening to this podcast. That knowing him, um, he's another podcast you know junkie like you are, and has taught me a ton. Okay, um, when I first around the time I first met him. He, he told me, he was like, yo, I am so damn tired of using the word whoa. He was like, I am just over it. And I was like, you know, I had a lab at the time. I wasn't training no point dog. So I'm like, why would you carry? Why, why? I don't use whoa. So what? what's your point? And now that I'm training Vegas, I got tired of that damn word. Hell Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what? You know, you got, you got my my uh, old Mo Lindley book. Yes, I do, and I and, and, and we gonna get into that too. So I want to publicly thank you, but we gonna get into that no, too. No, absolutely, <laughs> bud. But you know the whole the whole method, whether whether we call it Walker's method or or the West method or or the Mo method, you know we teach these dogs that they need to stand up and stand still when there's a bird in the air. Right. You do that through repetitions and they associate the, the for you know, the, the pressure from a pinch collar or the E collar mm-hmm. as their signal to stop. You do that enough times. They figure out that if I put that bird up in the air, I'm going to get corrected. I don't like that correction. Exactly. They're displaying their genetics to point sense. Which, you know, the genetics for the most, you know, a lot of things will stop and point, flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell, cats for a lab, they'll do it. Exactly. Labs can do it. Cats do it. Look at a cougar or a lion before they pounce on a, right. a deer or a gazelle. They stop. That's they, a point. It, it's a point, and they're analyzing the situation before they jump in. Yeah. Exactly. Now, you, you put a pitch collar and an e collar on that mountain lion, you might you might get him to hold point line. <laughs> exactly. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but you got to teach him, you know, that hollering woe is not going to make that dog point. It, it, it is hurting you more than it's helping you. It, absolutely. I look at the command woe as to stop the dog, to get his attention from either crossing a road or to get his attention so I can go a different direction and have him go with me if he's not paying attention. Absolutely. Spot on. But I'm, you, can, I'm the you, same can use, you can use the hear command for that just the same. I don't even think it matters the word to the dog. You know, Mo Lindley gets into it. It's body language. Absolutely. You know, and and, and we'll go into there. I, I want that to be a, its own conversation. But the word whoa, like Vegas knows when I say whoa, that damn dog put on the brakes like I just left Jiffy Lube. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like he 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 put on the hard brakes. But that is because as a pup, I conditioned his woe to the food bowl. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. I, you start it you start it small and you build big. Right. 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 And now but the thing is, 
that woe has nothing to do with the flush of a bird, the word woe. Okay, we're talking about like literally saying the word. No, you can teach that that stand because I think the 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 stand command, I guess, or the, not even the command. Let, let's let's be a little more intellectual than that. The action of standing. Okay. Yeah. Because you're not gonna a command is to me is something very verbal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the stand command is what I'm working on on the barrel. Okay, I, I don't, I don't say woe to Vegas on the barrel. I stopped doing that actually. You know, when I say woe to Vegas, yeah, the action is the same, but I want Vegas to know when I say woe, I'm, st- I'm stopping you. I don't know when a bird is gonna flush, so why would I say woe to that? You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. To to me, in my mind, and you know, people can disagree with me all they want. If you were going to use woe the proper way, it would be after the flush. If the dog was going to chase, exactly, exactly. That I hate seeing dogs, and I see this all the time. The dog is, you know, I, what I call catwalking or creeping mm-hmm. up on point, and people are whoa, 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 and they're screaming it by the time they get to the dog, and that dog hadn't stopped once. Yeah. He's ignoring your ass. He mm-hmm. don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He don't care, and you're just making it worse on yourself. Absolutely. We dogs learn by association and by conditioning. Mm-hmm. You're conditioning him to ignore you. You know, you bring up a good point, though, man. Let's talk about catwalking. You know, I, Joe, you stuck with me for a second, man. So, <laughs> but I, because you keep bringing these points up and I ain't even got to the rest of the questions, but like catwalking, I let Vegas catwalk into his own point, if that makes sense. And if that joker flushes a bird, I bet you that two or three flushes down the, down the road, and I, I, I videoed it to, to, to say this, so I'm not saying this with no merit. Um, yeah, two or three more catwalks into a flush. That dog stopped, you know, stopped catwalking. Yeah, and I and I think well, that the dog is trying to teach itself. Okay, I can get this far or this close to the bird before it's gone, and I I think that shows a level of intelligence, man. That's exactly what that is, and you know. There's a big difference. So when I talk about, uh, you know, seeing a guy with his, uh, let's just say, short hair, because yeah. um, we, we because we're biased to short hairs. <laughs> exactly. You see a guy with his uh, short hair and it's catwalking. You know, that's an older dog. Yeah. That's a dog that's you know supposedly been trained. Um, you know, little Vegas. What is, what's he? Five months. Five now? months. Yeah. Five months. I don't. I don't care if he catwalks. If that. If Vegas. If if he was at my kennel right now, I don't care if he catwalks and creeps on birds till he's twelve months old. Personally, mm-hmm. because eventually he's going to figure out that he's not going to catch those birds because I'm not going to shoot any of those for him. Right. I'm going to keep letting him flush and figure out that when he comes in contact with with game scent, he needs to stop and stand still. Otherwise, he's going to get no reward, and that reward being a bird in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you take a, you take a dog that's had a couple seasons and had some training, and he's catwalking. I'm going to correct it. Right. 
so, you know, if he, if he supposedly knows better and has been put through a program where he understands that he needs to stand up and stand still in the presence of game, he needs to be corrected for catwalking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's, we're not talking about, again, a young dog. We're talking about a dog that's got a season under his belt of just, and we're also talking wild birds, too. Absolutely. But, you know, a, a seasoned dog that is, you know, had at least a season, because I, I personally don't like to break a dog or, you know, finish a dog, let's say, mm-hmm. um, until they've had at least one season, preferably two seasons of bird hunting. I want that dog to be confident in itself that it can run to the front, hit every likely cover, find game reliably, point it at least till I get there and let me shoot a couple birds for him. Mm-hmm. A little pup like Vegas, I, I don't care. Right. Let him flush as many birds as he wants. I want that. I want him to show desire for those birds. Mm-hmm. And that, and I mean, and that takes, especially for guys down here in Georgia that are, are crazy enough to go chase wild birds. Like I set the expectation for Vegas to be predominantly trained on wild birds, right? That takes a lot of gas mileage, number one, okay? That's going to take a lot of patience. You know, this season, I don't plan on, you know, when I release Ruger, yeah, I'm going to take the Beretta out and and, and we're going to get to shooting birds, knocking them down because that dog knows. But Vegas Vegas ain't going to get too much more than, than the blank pistol, and it, you see what I'm saying? And when I start to see that you uh, are, are holding your birds, then we'll start killing birds over you, you know? Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that because he doesn't know any different yet. They don't know any different. Right. No. If you were to take now, if you were to take Ruger out and just start blanking wild birds, he'd look at you like you were fucking crazy. Right. He'd be like, yo, uh, Hey, bro. <laughs> I need you to start. Out. And he has done that, mind you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I am a terrible shot when it comes to hunting. Hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I can hit a quail with a one-handed shot with a 410 without even looking at it while I'm watching the dog trying to make sure he's not breaking. But if I'm out hunting, I miss pheasants at 10 yards. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Um, but, you know, getting back to this, this puppy stuff, I've got my young Brittany, uh, Wade, He's uh, he just turned two. Okay. And he's had two full seasons under his belt, and you know half the time he busts birds, and I don't care. I want him to have confidence and to be, you know, successful at finding birds. Now mm-hmm. this summer he's gonna get finished out. But he's two. He's two. Right. And <laughs> He's a little older. If he, get, if he gets to the point where he starts, you know, getting a little sticky or, or getting a little, you know, shy about stuff, I'll, I'll back off and I'll start shooting birds for him. Right. You know, but he's my dog. I can take it as slow or as fast as I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have another 10, maybe 12 seasons with him. So why not? Right, and 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 see with client dogs, the, the, you're not gonna. It, it's possible that you may not get that back. You know, it's it's very possible that 
you know, I do have my group of people that have been coming to me for um, a couple years. You know, I do my puppy program when they had when the dog was young, which you know we get the dog used to birds and gunfire and running through cover, and then they take it home and hunt it. Mm-hmm. Bring it back the next year. We put a little bit more foundation on it for a month or a couple months. And then a little bit more and a little bit more. And depending on where they want to go with this dog, you know, we might say we're done. Right. Right. And and generally I get a lot of people, you know, our bird season here in Illinois opens up depending on, you know, whether you hunt wild birds, you know, the few that we have or go to preserves, you know, either the beginning of October or the beginning of November. So typically I'll get dogs, you know, September. Yep. We need them ready in a month, you know, nine months old, never, never seen a bird been around guns or. Yeah. I would give that person two business cards, one for today and one for next week. When you lose this business card and need to call me back. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but you know, again, like I said, a lot of these people, you know, in the area that I live, I'm so close to Chicago and the suburbs of Chicago. A lot of these people just don't understand what it takes. It's a family dog. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've had fun with it for the first nine months of its life. And now they, Oh yeah. Bird season's coming up. Better call a trainer. And right. And, and, and let me get a refresher. This ain't summer school, man. No. <laughs> this, this ain't summer school. Like, if you're going to work dogs and that, and that's why I wanted to, you know, title this podcast, you know, bird dog and getting, you know, getting down and dirty. Like, let's just call it for what it is. This ain't summer school, you know, and, no, and it, you it's know, a lifelong commitment to these dogs. Absolutely. And, and, and they know it. They do. They, they know it as far as having the dog in their home and being a part of the family. Yep. Yep. What they don't understand is, for the most part, and a lot of people don't understand this, whether it be a, a bird dog or a pet, is that training lasts the lifetime of the dog. Right. Right. Just because he's been to the trainer for three months or, or whatever doesn't mean that you can just stop working that dog and expect it to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I you had. Know, um... I, I don't remember half the stuff I learned in high school. There you go. You know, and that's because I haven't practiced any of it. Dude, I got to go take a GRE at some point in time soon because I want to get into veterinary school. Ask me if I remember anything about algebra. I don't. <laughs> Bro, I took pre-algebra for four years, so don't even get me started on it. <laughs> well, you, look, you're a little bit better than me because I just cheated off of my wife when it came to algebra. <laughs> I I, I, I shit you not. I cheated off of my wife on that one. So <laughs> I feel you. I always credit my kid's mom for make helping me graduate because she did all my high my homework senior year and helped me graduate. And there you go. <laughs> so that goes to show you guys get a good woman that's smart and knows how to do uh, math. <laughs> yeah, but yo, like. You know, I, I, I really want to get into, you know, more of your your kennel practices, too. You know, I can joke all day and I I, I love talking to you because, Lord, me, and you, I feel like me, and you got the same type of humor. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, For sure. Man. 
we're the only thing that separates us is is uh, geography and skin color. There us. you go. <laughs> We are the same damn person. I mean, and, and look, and, and I don't think I think those two are very small parts of what separates us. Like, dude, I, I they're I, so superficial. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. So let me ask you this: I want to get on, and and I've had a a a, a um a listener follower of mine on the podcast asked me about kennel setup. So let's talk about your kennel setup. Um, first of all, let me ask you this is PSR kennels, the name of your kennels. Is that point shoot to retrieve? Exactly. Yes. Okay. I, I, I didn't want to sound like an idiot when I asked that. <laughs> no, that, um, I came up with that. Uh, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago. Cause embarrassingly my first kennel name um, that I came up with when I was a kid was Gitter Done Gun Dogs because I was a big fan. Of <laughs> well, you probably and, heard uh, me say that a bunch on this podcast. Oh, hell yeah, hell yeah, and uh, and uh, you know when I started getting really serious about dog training and decided you know that I wanted to do this for a living, the the gal that I was dating at the time, she's like, "That's the most ridiculous crap I've ever heard. You need to change that name." And, you know, I was a little hurt, but I started thinking, you know, yeah, that's, I, that's pretty, pretty retarded and kind of teenagerish. I, I, I think you, uh, whoever you were talking to at that time, give her my thanks. Like, I like PSR yeah. better. For sure. And, There's a smart uh, woman started, right there. Yes. Yeah, she was. And I just, I just started thinking, you know, what, what, what matters to me? You know, I, I want to see the dog point. I want to go shoot, and then I want that retrieve. Yeah. So PSR yeah. was born. Yeah, yeah. So now that we got PSR, now one thing um, with PSR kennels, I want to really go into your kennel setup. I had a listener ask um, about that, and I know, and you definitely helped them out. I cannot remember the the, the follower name, but. You sent me a diagram and everything. Now, let me tell you about my kennel and why I am not the best resource for this, okay? My my kennel outside, I keep my dogs in the house. The only reason that I even built a 10 by 10, you know, fenced in area is because, number one, I got a baby on the way and I'm going to have to put him out there anyway at some point in time, just, you know, Mm -hmm. when I need to. But also, um, I only got two dogs. I'm not really keeping them out there. Um, you know, your kennel setup and Neil Carter's kennel setup um, were the two most impressive kennel setups I've seen. You know, I, I, I want you to come down here to Georgia and see it. Um, but, you know, what I was most impressed about, and I want you to go through your whole thing now. What I was most All impressed right. about was the the barrels that you have, you know, kind of hanging. Mm-hmm. And then the fat, and I want you to tell the story the about your kennels getting blown down because I think that was monumental. Yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty uh, tough couple of days there for me. Um, yeah, man. I wish I could help you out, dude. Dude, it's all good, man. You're like forever away. And <laughs> it's you know, it's all good. But uh, okay, so my setup. Pre-storm, I had uh, 10 6x10 kennels that were pretty much freestanding. 
Um, I put a sheet metal roof on top of them that was attached to the kennels themselves. And I had um, basically privacy fencing, you know, kind of stuff you'd have in your backyard in a subdivision Mm -hmm. on the back of it as, um, you know, mostly for shade because the, you know, my kennels are facing the east. Yep. And um, I want, you know, the dogs to be protected from rain and from a lot of sun. Right. I do. I do like having some sun on the the kennels in the morning because that kind of helps with the killing bacteria. Having enough sunshine under there, right? Um, but um, it, you know, I'm never happy with my setup. I'm always thinking of better ways to do this, better ways to do that. Um, I've probably had barrels hanging or sitting on concrete blocks, or you know, I've made some stands for them. But I always go back to hanging the barrels with, uh, I use aircraft cable. Okay. Um, mostly because it's so much easier to wash underneath of them. Okay. And I don't have to drag them out because it takes me about an hour every morning and every evening to, to scoop poop and wash down kennels. And any time that I can shave off is more time I have to train or hang out with my two sons. Damn, that's smart. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm a perfectionist and I'm never happy with my setup. Um I, the place that I live at is a it's just a farm at out in the middle of nowhere that I rent. Mhm. Yeah. So I can't really do any construction out here as far as on buildings or take a building down or adding buildings. Yeah. Um so the concrete that the kennels sit on is it's an old feedlot where cattle used to get finished out from you know young to to slaughter weight so the the concrete is old it's got some holes in it that i've patched up um but i've been lucky with uh, as far as sanitation being able to keep them clean because i clean them every day every sunday i do a big clean out where i bleach everything um yeah, I, I I now catching that real quick. I'm glad you yeah. said that. I use bleach now. I'm the type of person. I'm I'm a a bit of a not a clean freak. Like because I'm not scrubbing floors of my house every day, but I do sweep and I do um and I and and in my kennels, you know, I bleach them. Like I seriously, seriously, seriously bleach them. I know there's a bunch of different formulas, but I'm old school like my mama and my grandmama. Yeah. I use good old pine saw and I use good old bleach. You know, is, you know is, what? is there a bleach better mixture? For, bleach has been around for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I it, it, The main reason I use it is because I can get it for a dollar a gallon at the, the local farm supply. Yep. Um, and I, I like the smell of bleach. You know, I like the smell of pine saw. I don't know what it is, man. It, 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 it's something about pine yeah. saw. Pine saw, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of. Have you ever tried Fabulosa? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> Come on, dude, I'm black. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I worked with a Hispanic guy, and he turned me on to that stuff, and I have not looked back since. That stuff is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that's a good one, 
And I mean, I'm just trying to be thorough, man. Like I, I'm really impressed by your kennel setup. And what that does is, you know, I, I think that kennel cough, okay? Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 first of all, let's be clear about kennel cough. It's it's like a dog getting a cold. All right, it's not exactly. It's not the worst shit in the world. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's not gonna kill your dog. Um, no, but at the same time, it's easily preventable. It's thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and it's easily preventable. Um, I think that simply getting in and scrubbing or spraying out your kennels prevents that. Um, I think that maybe, and I, I love to do the research, but that may be one of the most common things that I hear about people with, you know, folks with dog kennels. Yeah. Well, one one thing that I learned from a local guy um, who was a houndsman, you know, yeah. he had, uh, I think he had walkers or blue ticks. I can't remember. Yeah. But he always took that bleach and put, you know, a hat, a cap full in his dog's water bucket that they drank out of. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I at first I'm like, damn, how are you not having dead hounds all I, over the place? I, I would you, be you, scared you, shitless of it. Dude, you think about it? That's It's no different than the shit they put in your city drinking water. Really? If you have to make sure that you're diluting it enough. So, you know, my, my water buckets are nine quarts. And putting, I don't even know how much is in a, a cap full, you know, how much, what volume a cap full of bleach is. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing that for about six years. It, it don't hurt the dogs. It helps with uh, keeping their immune system up, um, clears out any internal parasites as far as like, you know, not like worms or anything, but, you know, just some kind of bug that they might get in their gut. Yeah. It helps with that, and I've never had a problem with it. Get out of here. <laughs> this is why I wanted you on the podcast, because I would have never thought to do that. Like, when I tell you I'd be so scared about um, uh, about bleaching my kennels and putting my dogs right back into it. Like, matter of fact, um, true story, I had just finished bleaching my kennels out, my dog's kennels. I got my Dakota um, kennel or whatever, and I keep Vegas in there. You know, for the most part, Ruger pretty much stays out, so I don't really worry about him. But Vegas, because he's young, I'll be going, and he might pee in there or something like that. Well, that little joker got to licking the floors of the kennel, like right after I cleaned it out. Man, I I freaked out, man. I'm 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 looking up on Google and all of this stuff. Like, man, does your dog lick bleach? <laughs> all of this stuff, and he's fine. I think if he if you were to just take that bleach and pour the concentrated version in there, yeah, and he would lick that up. Oh hell yeah, he'd get sick for sure. Right, right. I mean, so and I had sprayed it, sprayed it, sprayed it. Exactly, and so would you. But you dilute that down. And, you know, however many parts per million, you, you know, you break it down to, right. it ain't going to hurt them. Right. Okay. I didn't know that, man. Like, I, I and I, I'm appreciative of that information. Um, I, I, dude, that's, that's, that is something I feel like, like my, my granddaddy would have told me. <laughs> that's part 
old school knowledge, man, that I just love to eat up as much as I can. Okay, well, we gonna get to that too now. See, that's the problem. We think alike and we keep jumping each other. 